Today on Blue 58, it is time to start our game-by-game look back at the 2020 season. Let's rewind the clock to September when nobody knew what the NFL would look like in a pandemic and few could guess what the Packers' season would hold. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. I'm especially happy to be with you today because this is one of my favorite things to do on the podcast. Go back and take a look at every game the Packers played and figure out kind of what it meant now that we've had some time to digest it. By the time we finish this up, it should be about three weeks from now, we'll have had two or three months from the most recent game the Packers played. We'll have about six months, maybe closer to seven, from the earliest game they played. Starting with week one in Minnesota, we've had some time to think about these things. We're kind of prisoners of the moment, no matter what. No matter how level-headed we try to be, there's only so much we know at a given time. So I think it's good to take some time after a few weeks and months have passed to look back and see what happened in each of these games. For each of these games, we're going to look at three questions. What happened? Just basic what happened. Why did the Packers win or lose? How did they get there? Second, did anything emerge from this game that ended up being a long-term storyline or concern? We all know the threads that have kind of played out from the Packers' 2020 season, but where did they come from? When did they get their start? Identifying when that started is sometimes an important exercise. And third, what did we forget about this game? Sometimes you just don't remember those little details, and it's good to go back and remind yourself of the fun stuff that you missed. And this isn't going to be exhaustive. We're not going to get every single thing we forgot and every single single story time that emerged over the course of the season, but we can cement these things in our minds a little bit more by taking a few minutes to look back. So let's wind back that clock to week one. The Packers travel to Minnesota for the first game of their NFL pandemic experience. What happened? Well, first and most importantly, the Packers scored 43 points on the Vikings in Minnesota. Aaron Rodgers tore up the Vikings. Aaron Jones tore him up a little bit more and really just was the full offensive experience. Devontae Adams took apart whoever was in front of him. 14 catches, 156 yards, two touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers was professorial at the line, the first time we used that description of him this season. No fans, very first game with no fans and Aaron Rodgers was very much at home in that environment. We called it a little bit of a microchip game afterwards. Packers were clicking on absolutely every level. They had everyone available. Everyone was involved. They had uh, Josiah DeGuara. They had Tyler Irvin. They had all their receivers available. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon got some action late. But the defense also got a little action. They showed some susceptibility late. They gave up three consecutive touchdowns on the Vikings' last three drives. Garbage time, to be sure, but still a little bit concerning. Packers, though, ultimately come out on top in Week 1. So what came from this game? Did anything emerge from this game that ended up being a long-term storyline or concern? Yes, quite a few things. First, this was the beginning of the Marquez Valdez Scantling roller coaster. He had a big time touchdown, beat a guy one on one, and also a big time drop that may also have been a touchdown. This became a concern early in the season, and this is where it came from. 
The second big thing that emerged from this game was a pair of injuries. First and foremost, Kenny Clark. He played only 15 snaps in this game and then was out for most of the rest of the month. Lane Taylor was also hurt in this game, and I think it's easy to forget that Taylor both earned the starting job and then was knocked out by an injury almost immediately after he had earned it. Played into the fourth quarter in this game, then tore his ACL, and boom, that is it. Done for the season. And looking back on the grades for this game, Pro Football Focus, for whatever you take their opinion to be worth, had him as the highest-graded offensive lineman on the Packers in that game. As we said during our offensive line recap, football can indeed be a cruel game at times. Finally, something emerged in this game that I think was a little bit of a background concern for a lot of the season, for me at least. The Packers had some red zone issues in this game. Now, the Packers weren't terrible this season or in this game by any means in the red zone, but they did have some weird hiccups. Both Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett kind of working together, since we know that Hackett takes control in the red zone or the gold zone, if you prefer. Sometimes they have this weird propensity or to get overly clever in the red zone. I think we've said too cute by half a few times. On the Packers' third offensive, line, the third offensive drive, there was a sequence in the red zone where they got a little bit clever. They had a throwaway on a badly designed screen. They had another throwaway where nobody was open. Then on third down and long, they lined up in an empty set in a very obvious passing situation, and the Vikings responded by coming right up the middle. Here comes Anthony Barr through the A-gap. Aaron Rodgers has to throw it away again, and the Packers end up settling for a field goal. Red zone concerns. What did we forget about this game? First, well, it really just boils down to three players. First, Alan Lazard. Lazard was a legitimate star in the first month of the Packers season, ever since, from the beginning of the season until the New Orleans Saints game. He was on pace for an enormous statistical year. We'll get to that Saints game here in a second. But had a nice big catch and run and fell down. He had the first explosive play of the season on an end around. He had a nice touchdown in the back of the end zone where Aaron Rodgers appeared to kind of go out of his way to find Lazard after a bit of a catch-and-run, or after that um, that catch-and-run kind of was derailed by Lazard tripping over the turf, uh, the first of many times it seemed like he would do that in the, in the early portion of the season, but Alan Lazard came out ready to play. Chris Barnes also came ready to play. No preseason, no problem for the undrafted rookie free agent. Uh, just impressive that he managed to get on the field and play reasonably well in a pandemic no live game reps ahead of this. Sure, he got there due to an injury, a couple of them, but he started and he played relatively well. I don't know how much more you want from an undrafted free agent playing in his first ever game, preseason or otherwise, in the NFL. Then, to conclude this trio of players, we cannot leave this game behind us without talking about Jair Alexander coming out of nowhere on a corner blitz and sacking Kirk Cousins in the end zone. Apparently, this was a decision entirely up to Jair Alexander, did this all on his own. Jets into the backfield, takes down Kirk Cousins, and the Packers get on the board with a safety. Not too shabby. 
The Packers returned home in week two to take on the Detroit Lions, and the Packers fell behind early in this game but roared back when the Lions started tripping all over themselves. Lions were up 14-3 in the first quarter after two 75-yard touchdown drives. Packers scored to make it 14-10 early in the second quarter, then scored again with 14 seconds to go in the half to go up 17-3, and they never trailed again. On offense, it was pretty much like the first game. Really no slowing down, even if things got a little bit slow in the second quarter. But on defense, there were some concerns again. Fewer garbage time points, but the Lions still moved the ball at times. They had those two long drives and then a weird breakdown just before the half where the Packers, or excuse me, the Lions moved the ball to get more or less into field goal range, a 57-yard attempt, but in field goal range nonetheless, thanks to a couple of big, bad plays from the Packers. They were playing way too soft there and just let the Lions move the ball. Hmm, would playing soft right before a half, ever come back to bite the Packers? I wonder. So did anything emerge from this game that ended up being a long-term storyline or concern? Well, those slow starts for the defense were kind of the latest version of what was an ongoing concern for Mike Pettin and his unit. I think by and large, the Packers' defense played fairly well in most games in the Pettin era. That is some pretty faint praise, I realize, but by and large, the results were, were pretty okay. But it seemed like in just about every game where there was either a competent quarterback on the other side or at least a competent play caller, there would be a portion of the game where they would just be all over the defense because Petten just would not have them figured out. He would just seem to have no idea what the opposing team was going to come out and do. And then like midway through the second quarter, most of the time, all right, the defense has woken up. Mike Pettin's figured out what you're going to do, and he's going to take it away from you. Now, a good defensive coordinator would probably start out with some sort of idea what the opposing team is going to do, but uh, there you see why Mike Pettin is not a defensive coordinator in the NFL currently. So that was a concern against Detroit. We also got the second instance of A.J. Dillon, the human victory cigar. He did not touch the ball until the fourth quarter, and only played seven snaps overall, up from five the week prior. And this was basically A.J. Dillon's role until the second half of the season, until there was really no other option. Uh, He was just kind of just there. There was no regular integration of A.J. Dillon into the offense early in the season. Third, the Packers started dealing with a lot of injuries. So you had Kenny Clark and Lane Taylor the previous week. But in this game, Tyler Irvin got banged up, and that ended up being an issue for him all season long. Devontae Adams was injured and did not return, and did not return for quite some time. All happened in the Detroit game. What did we forget about this game? Well, part of the reason the Packers gave up a bunch of yards right before the half and a near field goal was that Darnell Savage was really loud bad in this game. He was to blame on TJ Hawkinson's big catch right before halftime as they were making that big drive. He missed three tackles, according to Pro Football Focus, and it was generally just a down day for Darnell Savage. Small footnote here, but Adrian Peterson lined up for the Lions in this game. That still feels like a weird dream. I can picture myself having a a dream and being like, ha, Adrian Peterson played for the Lions. Nope, but it, it actually happened. Also in this game, 
there was a Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers sideline exchange that was not super pleasant. Matt LaFleur called a timeout when Aaron Rodgers was trying to adjust a play at the line of scrimmage with the play clock running down, and Rodgers got ticked. And this is the sort of thing that the media would have really seized on if the Packers, I think, hadn't been good, but they were so good that you really can't make anything out of it. And really, this is not a storyline at all. Anyway, I just wanted to point out that it happened because this was not something we heard a lot this year. It was a, a an issue last offseason. How is Aaron Rodgers, or two offseasons ago, I guess, how is Aaron Rodgers going to adjust to Matt LaFleur? Will Matt LaFleur be able to handle Aaron Rodgers? Does Aaron Rodgers hate Matt LaFleur? And it it's never been a thing. It's been an entire it's been entirely a creation of the media from start to finish. But this is the sort of thing that would have popped up if the Packers hadn't gone thirteen and three. And I think this was a learning experience for for both players or both people here. Aaron Rodgers was willing to work with LaFleur on this kind of thing. And I think LaFleur was a lot more reluctant to call timeouts as the season went on. He let Aaron Rodgers handle things, even with the play clock running down. Before we get to week number three, I want to take a second and shout out a couple Patreon supporters. Reminder, if you head to patreon.com slash the power sweep and chip in any amount of money, you can be one of these Patreon supporters too. Some of the benefits you get there include uh, being a part of our Discord server, getting access to some bonus content. Uh, we've got something going up either tomorrow or early next week that I think is is going to be of interest of interest to you. I uh, haven't quite decided what that's going to be, if we're going to try to get out a, a Patreon-specific podcast or something else, but uh, we're going to do another Patreon podcast here in the very near future. Uh, but ultimately, you're also helping us keep this entire operation ad-free, and I really appreciate uh, everybody who, who helps us do that. Um, it takes takes an investment to keep the lights on running a podcast and, and making it the best it can be, and uh, you're doing that stops us from having to... Uh, pursue resources elsewhere. And so I am grateful for everybody who chooses to do that, including Tyler Duchateau, Eric Jensma, whose support for my Packers-related efforts goes back a lot farther than 2018, and Jonathan Hartley. All of these guys have been patrons since 2018, but uh, really, you can start any time, and it, uh, it means the exact same to me. I really appreciate everybody who has chosen to support us there. Finally, week three. The Packers head down to New Orleans. And if you happen to believe in narratives, this is a good moment for when the narratives start to fork for a lot of people. You can view this as the Packers passing a big test and announcing themselves. This is kind of what I think. Or you could view this as the time the Packers beat up on a weakened team and really didn't prove everything, prove anything about themselves at all. This is sort of the Skip Bayless flavor of the narrative. You could point to the fact that the Saints um, had no Michael Thomas, and that really limits what they could do through the air. Uh, but the Packers were limited, too. They were without Devontae Adams in this one, and they went to New Orleans, played a good team on the road with a good defense, and uh, came away with a victory. The Packers in this game got another great performance on offense. I described it at the time as a shootout, and I'm not entirely sure that is accurate in retrospect. Um, the score kind of looks that way. But it was, I think, more just a bunch of big plays than sustained offense either way. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to go down and score a touchdown, then you're going to go down and score a touchdown. The Packers and Saints both kind of scored in bunches, but there were some lulls in between as well. I guess that is the sign of uh, some good defense. 
No Devontae Adams for the Packers in this one. No Tyler Irvin and no problem at all. The Packers got big days from a few guys. A lot of tight ends got into the action for the Packers. And Alan Lazard ended up having what was his very best day of the season. Six catches, 146 yards, and one touchdown. uh, A 72-yard long for Mr. Lazard in this game. So did anything emerge from this game other than the Packers taking care of business against a good team on the road? Uh, that ended up being a long-term storyline or concern. So I talked about process post-game on this one, and I wanted to circle back to that. Other than Alan Lazard, no receiver had more than one catch in this game. And look, receivers aren't anything, or aren't everything, and the Packers' tight ends made up for a lot of the lack of production in the passing game, but this is where the Packers' depth at wide receiver really showed itself to be an issue. No Devontae Adams, and nobody other than Alan Lazard could really get going at all. The same was kind of true on defense. The defense really had some issues up the middle with Kenny Clark out, and that too had been an issue for some time. The Packers tried to offset the loss of Kenny Clark by having Zadarius Smith play a lot of time in the middle of their defensive line. That's not really his strength, And it cost the Packers a few times. As a result, this kind of ended up being a classic surprised by the obvious sort of game for Penn. So he's dealing with a a bit of a, a short deck there. He does not have his best defensive lineman against a good team up front. But coming in, you knew the Saints were going to feed Alvin Kamara, however they could, and throw short a bunch. They have no Michael Thomas, and Drew Brees is kind of a noodle-armed QB at this point in his career anyway, so they're probably going to go short, and they're probably going to feed Alvin Kamara however they can. Throw him screen passes, get him involved in the in the short passing game, whatever. And what happened? Well, Alvin Kamara touched the ball on 19 of the Saints' 61 offensive snaps, 31%, and Drew Brees threw only 10 passes out of 29 attempts that traveled further than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. We thought the Saints would throw short a bunch and feed Alvin Kamara, and what did they do? They threw short a bunch and fed Alvin Kamara. Kamara had 197 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns in this game, and the Packers just looked completely surprised that they were trying to get him involved at all. Still, however, there were some timely defensive plays. Kingsley Kiki showed up with two sacks, one of them on third down. Zadarius Smith forced a fumble when Sean Payton tried to run a read option with Taysom Hill, which obviously you just hate to see. And ultimately, the Packers put together a fairly solid defensive effort. Even if he completed 29 of 36 passes, Drew Brees only had 288 yards. He did throw for three touchdowns, and they didn't get a whole lot of pressure on him other than those two sacks by Kingsley Kiki, but... It was a good effort altogether. Alvin Kamara got a lot of his yards on one big screenplay and one big run. Other than that, they kept him largely bottled up. You can spin it a couple different ways. But there were some concerns here, and the Packers did not necessarily answer the bell on a couple of those concerns. So what did we forget about this game? Those are the big, broad headlines. Here's a couple things you may have forgotten. First, Billy Turner was back in the starting lineup for the Packers, 
And this kind of ended up being the Packers' preferred lineup for the year on the offensive line. Left to right, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, Lucas Patrick, and um, Billy Turner. Rick Wagner making cameo appearances in there as needed. But when the Packers had their druthers, this is the lineup they went with. Also in this game, the Saints had three fumbles but recovered two. And coming into the game, they hadn't fumbled at all in the 2020 season. Oren Burks forced a fumble, Kingsley Kiki forced another, and finally, Zadarius Smith forced Taysom Hill to fumble, and the Packers did recover that one. This game could rapidly have gone from a fairly close slugfest to a blowout if the Packers can recover one more of those fumbles, if the ball just bounces their way, and uh, they're able to, to get it into the end zone. Didn't work out that way, but that's how close things are sometimes. Mercedes Lewis had a big touchdown catch in this game. Malcolm Jenkins, in defense, wanted an offensive pass interference, saying Mercedes Lewis uh, pushed off. I would invite him to just cry a little bit more about it. You know, if you get beat by Mercedes Lewis, who is like 200 years old and uh, runs around like he is just kind of going out for a slow jog through his neighborhood, you kind of deserve what you get, I think. If Mercedes Lewis is beating you for a big touchdown down the down the sideline. It doesn't matter how he got open. You should be able to cover Mercedes Lewis at this point in his career. Finally, Aaron Rodgers had his very first rushing explosive play of the season. Had a 13-yard scramble in this game. And that ended up being one of just two explosive plays for Aaron Rodgers on the season. This is his lowest total ever in a full year playing for the Packers. Stayed in the pocket a lot more this year, and maybe age is finally starting to show in terms of how much he is able to run effectively for the Packers. But he had a good run in this game, 13 yards, and can get him when he needs him. So to recap, through three games, the Packers opened 3-0. and They had great offense through three weeks, still some big questions on the defense, and we're going to see those questions rear their ugly head in our next episode because on the horizon, the Packers have the Atlanta Falcons the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Houston Texans. So I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode and think somebody else would enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. That's going to help more people find the show and ultimately help us all to continue this conversation around the Green Bay Packers and help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.